0: David's going to be talking with us about autism trends, prediction, and prevention. David, take it away.
1: Uh, This weekend, I uh, listened on audiobooks to a book called Understanding Autism uh, by Chloe Silverman. Chloe Silverman's a PhD from Princeton. She's hung out with uh, Martha Herbert for the last seven or eight years, talked to a whole bunch of parents. And she wrote a a really great history of the autism she was talking about. She talked about the turning point. Autism was the the era of Dr. Rimland, where Dr. Rimland basically said nonsense of the refrigerator mother. He also talked about a parent-driven movement, and he talked about the fact that that love and loving children is the way we're going to get out of this mess. So I was fortunate over the years to be uh, a Bernie's uh, personal attorney. I volunteered; it was free, but I got a chance to talk to him once a week, and we became friends and when he was in hospice he came out of hospice one more time to draft a sort of a manifesto of where he saw autism was going and we spent three hours together and it was an incredible discussion uh he was absolutely the brightest shiniest light in terms of where the future should be and one of the things that bernie saw is the development of the potential of both predicting and preventing autism And it was interesting, in Chloe Silverman's last chapter to her book, it's exactly where she went. And she said this is likely going to be something that may define the future. What may also define the future, though, is the darker elements, and that is there's a lot of movement right now, the geneticists, to go ahead and use the information on the cluster of genes to abort these precious children in the womb, which is unbelievably crazy. But, But... Just like in Down syndrome, where the Down syndrome community raised money to make delivery safer, only to find out that the genetic information was used to abort uh, children. Ninety-four percent of all Down syndrome kids are aborted. So what I'd like to talk today is the development of what's happened since Bernie's death, and that is my work in the last four years at a couple of foundations, the Northwest Autism Foundation, and the Forum, which is a think tank on how do we develop a comprehensive global policy on predicting autism and then preventing it once we can predict it. So uh, let me go ahead and start with where are we heading with autism? We've got the current rates of 1 in 68. What are the costs? What does the future look like? What's the history, really, of the foundations I've been working with in the think tanks? Have we solved previous problems? Uh, have we done previous things to, to affect the future and can we solve this mess that we're in, it's, it's, it's obviously a mess. I'm not going to focus on the the area that is are defining the foundation I'm with which is lifespan which is there is work to be done in each of the areas whether it's early diagnosis, behavior, treatment, education, training, housing providing parent education, coaching, medical homes, services, and community sensitivities. So we have a total program we're looking at, and each one require uh, developing a comprehensive solution. But for today, I'm going to talk about the first step. How do we go in and shut off the valve? Or as some scholars talk about, swimming upstream and figuring out who's dumping all these kids in the water. So the rates. We know that the current rates done by the CDC, which almost everybody here is seen is one in 68. But it's important to note that that one in 68, over the last 20 years, especially the last 10 years in accurate counting, represents a 15% increase a year. If the uh, one in 68 represent 10 year olds, that's how long it takes to count everybody and make sure the diagnoses are in, which is a whole separate radio program on itself. But the one in 68 does represent 10 year olds. So we do the math and say, what is the risk of a newborn becoming autistic? How can we predict it? We just take 68, we take a 10-year trajectory of statistics and at 15%, and we come up with a current rate of children born today of a risk of developing autism or 1 in 18. I just talked to a good friend of mine who's involved with the California Uh, centers of excellence at 21 centers in California where they count three-year-olds and he said they just got done getting one of their regional counts schizophrenia was 14 kids mental retardation was 23 autism was 500 and this is a sharp increase these numbers are real and as he mentioned it is going to completely overwhelm the system's ability that's why the prevention part is so important is for those of you that out there that do have children and the many families that I know There's not going to be money for uh, adequate services when you have this incredible number of of individuals coming in the system vying for the dollars and services. And behind the statistics, obviously, are stories. And I've been privileged over the last um, 15 years owning Kirkman, getting thousands and thousands of stories that we've seen, and of course, working with Dr. Ribbon for 25 years. And probably the most dramatic is that I remember going down the, the first time I met with Dr. Rimlin and, and it was at noontime. I was a big shot. I was an attorney, and I was just getting into this. And so I was going to see the big man. And uh, he was on the telephone for an hour and a half. And I thought, well, that must be something like the New York Times or some big deal, because he kept me waiting, right? And he hung up the telephone, and he said, let's go to lunch. And I said, well, uh, Dr. Rimlin, who's that? And he said, it was a, a, a parent. And I said, oh, somebody that you're working with? No, just met him. But they had a child just diagnosed with autism. They needed help. And I understood at that moment that for Bernie, it was about one child. You know, for Bernie, it was about one family. And when he got done at work at 10 o'clock at night, he watched the news. But then he came back to his office at 11 o'clock. So he could get calls from people all over the world. And I, I, I understood something, and it changed me. And and I do understand this is about one child, the importance of of one child. Uh, We have made tremendous efforts uh, in in terms of the medical condition. I just saw in pediatrics yesterday, they just published a meta study showing that children with autism have significantly more gastro issues uh, than the average child. And that this is part of the condition. And uh, we would like to think that uh, we had a hand in establishing that. Uh, So let's go back in terms of the foundation. When I discussed where we were going with Dr. Rimley, he said, look, we have a lot of great doctors out there, a lot of great parents, but we need to be able to get the academic and government community to buy into the medical conditions. So Bernie uh, helped us uh, raise money, and we funded a half a million dollars in gastro work at uh, Harvard uh, with Tim Bowie and and, uh, Dr. Kozak saying absolutely that these kids had a unique form of gut disease. Uh, we then set out a goal of raising six million dollars to form the Autism Treatment Network, and the person that uh, we headed the project was Jim Perrin, Dr. Perrin. Uh, it ended up getting seventy million dollars when it was over to Autism Speaks, and Dr. Perrin now is the uh, uh, president, one minute, uh, president of the American Academy of Pediatrics, and uh, they basically published a lot of the work about the medical conditions. So. Uh, We also did a consensus uh, study that was published in Pediatrics. involved 26 of the best gastroenterologists in 2010. It was an 83-page insert, and it exists. And if you look it up, you'll see that it absolutely demonstrates children with autism, as part of the condition, 50% have gastrointestinal complications that need treatment. So the question is what's causing uh, autism, what's causing the medical problems? Uh, Stanford really caused the world to change when three years ago they published a study based on twins and they said that this is not coming from uh, a genetic only cause. In fact they said it looks like about 65 to 70 percent of the cause of autism occurs in the womb because of toxicity. Uh, Since then people like uh, Phil Landrigan from Mount Sinai has actually uh, work with Dr. Peshoff of the Mind Institute, and they're identifying the specific compounds which are causing autism in the womb. It's lead, methylmercury, organophosphates, organopesticides, endocrine disruptors, automotive exhaust, uh, uh, and uh, perfluorinated compounds. And these are shown to be uniquely damaging during the second trimester, and that is the critical time of formation. So based on this information that we have an absolute epidemic uh, occurring and and the cost of a rate of one in 20 for autism based at $3 million a child exceeds the entire cost of Medicare, the entire cost of Medicare, including all of the payments to seniors. It's about $600 billion a year. So what we need to do is take a look at where can we go. So we're going to be publishing uh, a study that's taken us two and a half years to do. It's with 26 individuals, including Doreen grant from CARD, who many of you heard earlier, who, who's an unbelievable contributor to solutions with autism. But uh, Margaret Bowman from the Ladders Program in Harvard led the project. Uh, Doreen and others were participants and major participants. And here's what we said. We started with the hypotheses. Is autism predictable? is it predictable before regression? And if it is predictable, can it be prevented? So here's the conclusion, and, and again, I, the study is embargoed, and it's it's it will be published over three issues of pediatrics, 25 pages each, so it's a major part of the pediatric publications. But here's basically what we're saying. Uh, the consensus of the group is, by the age of one, microgestures can be studied and observed with one-year-olds that can give us a predictability that that child will likely become autistic to two and a half. And these are micro gestures. And part of the studies that were done is that there were so many parents took one-year-old videos of birthday parties. And with those one-year-old videos, uh, they were able to uh, have researchers detect micro gestures and they blinded the researchers and they were accurate Uh, 50% of the time, but also 95% of all the autistic children that became autistic, they got in the pool. So some of the children that didn't become autistic had other abnormalities. The preventability was important to us because if you predict something and then there's nothing to do about it, uh, it becomes almost mean-spirited to say your child will develop autism and there's nothing to do about it. We've all heard that story before in terms of treatment. Well, the preventability is actually really good news. It's called the Early Start Denver Model Program. It was done by Dr. Dawson and and Dr. Sally Rogers. And what it is, is a modified form of ABA uh, intervention. And with that intervention, that many of these children can, at the age of two and a half, Uh, develop no signs of autism. The Early Start Denver model program is the model for intervention and Dr. Grant Pache is an expert in this area and she's going to help us uh, develop uh, the model for the prevention. But basically what it does is it strengthens the middle cortex of the brain uh, so that it adjusts for the defects in the frontal lobe cortex area, plus it has a way of changing circuitry of the brain. And here is a cool thing, and, and that is with uh, Dr. Grant Bache did an informal study of 35 high-risk uh, children, one-year-olds that had probably a 50/50 chance of developing autism. And by the age of four, there was no autism that was seen, but their average IQ was 127. And this is very, very significant, because it could well be that the autism genes are not regressive genes, but merely an evolutionary gene, pool that is adapting to a more complex world and that the problem is that with toxicity in the womb it affects the frontal lobal area which is being damaged and if that is the case it is a travesty to abort these children their average IQ is 127 we don't see clusters of genes developing that are regressive genes that are creating more intelligence. So does this have any published uh, validity as well? Well, yes. Dr. Dawson did a study of these baby sibs at one. It was a very well-controlled study published in pediatrics, and she got an 18-point bump in IQ with this early Denver START program starting at the age of one. One of the reasons it's really critical at the age of one rather than the age of five or six, the brain has a lot of plasticity at the age of one. So, for example, if you're in Iceland and you're a one-year-old, you can learn the language of Icelandic in about eight months, where if you're somebody like me at the age of 65, it it would be impossible to learn, or or I just get a little bit of it in five years. But this is actually really important information, and the fact that pediatrics is going to have this published in three editions and a major insert, 25 pages each, and it's a consensus of 26 of our brightest people that, that the hypothesis is that we can predict autism at one with micro gestures, just like the seven warning signs of cancer. And once predicted, the Early Start Denver Model Program is the answer to how to address it and how to prevent autism by the age of two and a half. And as I mentioned before in Chloe Stevenson's book that she just finished, her last chapter is saying the early identification at one, and the intervention is the best hope we have. And I, I completely agree with it it's been my, my life. So what we're looking at now is the implementation of this program. Uh, we, we also had a really interesting study that just got published in the New England Journal of uh, Medicine, uh, our most prestigious journal, dealing with results of 12 children who died with autism and had their brains autopsied by the researchers and here's what they found very consistent with what we're talking about they found that the damage done to the brain was in the second trimester which indicates not a genetic but an environmental insult to those genes the second thing they found is the circuitry problems occurred in the frontal lobe cortex area and it was not as serious And they suggested that that had an opportunity of being repaired. Uh, The other thing uh, that they noticed is that that the damage needs to be repaired during this plasticity period of time from one to two and a half, when the brain has an amazing job of doing re-circuitry. So even though it was only 12 uh, studies of brains, and it sounds a little bit ghoulish, but this was the first time that they had done this with the brains of children. And it, it gives us a tremendous amount of confidence that what we're looking at publishing is consistent now with the hard science. So the next subject is, it's, it's more than just autism. And this is a project we're doing at the forum called P2I or preconception to infancy. What we're looking at doing is we're looking at creating a program that we're finishing that takes, how do we go ahead and protect a woman before conception, preconception, and then through the first two years of infancy. So not only can reduce the incidences of autism, but also reduce the incidences of other chronic diseases. Uh, What we've seen in the literature is the number of all uh, conditions with children are increasing at an alarming rate. And the the types of diseases we saw for the first uh, 50 years from 1950 to 1980 These are all going down: tuberculosis, mumps, rheumatic fever. These are the episodal problems, but the chronic conditions done with inflammation problems and autoimmune diseases, which are autism, ADHD, Crohn's disease, multiple sclerosis, diabetes, asthma, and cancer, are all going up. Cancer is a leading death of all children under the age of uh, of seven. This is caused by environmental damage in the womb. So, what are the numbers right now? The numbers are really shocking overall. And that is the miscarriage rate in this country right now is 31%. That's right from the New England Journal of Medicine. 31%. Preterm births are at 12%, and by the age of five, the age of five, 40% of all of the children will have a chronic condition that will last them a lifetime, whether it be autism, asthma, allergic eczema, serious food allergies, celiac disease, ADHD, dyspraxia, bipolar conditions. And, and these conditions are being caused by problems that occur with toxicity in the womb and toxicity during the first two years of childhood. So these are serious problems we talk about preterm. It's uh, 12%, it lowers IQ by eight points. It's a $26 billion a year problem. Uh, 10 times of learning disorders, eight times the cerebral palsy. And let's just look at one of these effects during pregnancy, a Danish study that was very persuasive, done with uh, close to 60,000 women, shows that for every can of Diet Coke with aspartame, a woman increases her chance by 18% of having a preterm child. Well, well, who knows that? Who knew that aspartame could create that much of a difference? Now, was this replicated with five or six more studies? No, this was an extremely well done study and should be enough to cause people to be concerned about what things are affecting baby. So if we take a look at the the evidence behind toxicity in the womb, a lot of it came from the Environmental Working Group where for the first time three years ago, they took core blood from baby, and they matched that up to the pesticide and toxicity loads of mothers. They expected, they expected that they would see that almost all these toxins were being filtered out during the pregnancy period by the protection in the womb. What they found was shocking. What they found was none of it was being filtered out. These chemicals and heavy metals were getting through to baby as if the mother was smoking cigarettes nonstop. And it caused such concern that the CDC replicated the study and they published a full issue of Pediatrics, April of 2000. And 11, detailing the pollution in the womb, creating unbelievable problems with neurological issues and chronic illness. We have found the smoking gun. That smoking gun now needs to be brought to the public's attention. So what are we looking at if it's done right? Fortunately, in our autism community, we have several doctors that when parents have gone to them and said, look. Dr. Berger or Dr. Traver, we'd like to have a second child. Can you reduce our chances of that child having autism? The techniques they've developed were uh, organic foods, uh, no toxicity, breastfeeding, and those protocols that are developed have had dramatic effects on the outcome of children. Dr. Berger is one that we've been patterning our program after. Dr. Berger is quite famous. He's in Tampa. Was not known as, he's also a pediatrician. He's had 500 pregnancies under his practice. Of those 500 pregnancies, almost no miscarriages, almost no preterm babies. He's had one child with mild autism and one child with eczema out of 500 children. And and we've seen this pattern develop with four or five other doctors. Dr. Rimland told me to take a look at a study done in 1990, the Foresight uh, uh, study in England. And it was 367 couples that had enormous problems with other children, they had miscarriage rates of 38%, preterm rates of 17%, and they embarked upon a toxic-free, no chemicals, organic food, and, and with babies uh, breastfed for the first year and a half. And of the 327 couples that got pregnant, here's the results. They had zero miscarriages, zero stillbirths, one child underweight, no malformations, and not a single child developed any chronic childhood diseases. They didn't know at the time what was causing it. We do now. So, what we've done is we've collected some of the best scientists on the planet. Uh, Dr. Carol Wagner, a neonatalist out of South Carolina, Dr. Robert Heaney, uh, who is probably the leading. Uh, nutrition uh, 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 publicist out of uh, Creighton University, he has that program, and Dr. Cedric uh, Garland, an epidemiologist out of UCLA. That's the team we're putting together to put together a very interesting public campaign to reach one million uh, families having children and also implement the Early Start One Year program. So part of what we're gonna do is, if we're gonna have something that's revolutionary, we have to have a technology that's revolutionary. And this is the most exciting part of this talk is what we're developing with a very uh, interesting format on the Internet. There's a company that has developed a virtual environment that is almost the same if you were going to go to an autism conference. You can listen to CME courses. It looks like live technology. It, it's, it's able to be done on the Internet, but it's almost like you're going to a real conference You can take CME courses, you go to forums, and as you're talking in English, people in Turkey can hear you in Turkish. This is unbelievably interesting technology. Every parent will have a workbook. The Early Start Denver program will be completely described on the site. The warning signs of the one-year-old will be described. And we can have up to 100,000 people a day on this website. Uh, It's a very expensive project to create, and we're raising the money on our foundation and we're going to go ahead and break this program sometime in november but i can't exaggerate the importance of having a global discussion on two areas number one is how to recognize and prevent autism and have that available for every single family regardless of their financial circumstances and the second one P I, is being able to give instructions for parents of how to avoid toxicity and what kinds of foods bother the fetus, how to avoid problems with all chronic illness and have healthy children that have the ability to thrive and and be able to cut down the rates of all of the chronic illnesses that are costing this country $500 billion. As a young attorney, uh, I worked for Ralph Nader. I was an environmental attorney back going to law school, formed the first PURGS, and we saw... The assault to the environment is where the problem was. The assault to our, our, our streams and our rivers and the air we breathe. What I now understand and what we didn't see then is these minute amounts of chemicals and toxicity and lead and mercury are causing enormous problems for the developing fetus and new children. We bring children home from the nursery and we put them on a brand new crib that's been sprayed with arsenic from the factory. 200,000 mattresses were recalled by the factory because somebody put too much arsenic on it. We paint with paint in the baby's room, and then we put new carpeting down. John Green, a doctor out of Portland, told me he's run an experiment of taking an aquarium with no water in it, putting a brand new piece of carpeting, and putting two mice, and they'll, they'll be dead in the morning from the fumes of the carpeting. These are the carpets the babies are going on. We have to have a wake-up call. This new technology will allow us to be able to communicate globally with everyone, get the information out. We're recruiting some of the best people for CME courses, some of the best people for TED presentations, and people will have access to this information and be completely free. I do want to say that, that uh, I may be a pretty good lamp, and I'm not the electricity. The electricity that runs through me really is the life and work of Dr. Rimland, the direction that he gave me and the insights he gave me on where we need to go. And we are right at the start of being able to have an incredible solution to a problem and provide a lot more services for families that have existing children. I also want to state that I'm so grateful I've been part of a foundation. Uh, with uh, Gleason Aiken and Wayne Hammersley and John Dehony and others that have been dedicated for 13 years to following without any politics involved, how can we bring solutions that took a lot of time and a lot of money to accomplish? So I think what we have is we have a foundation of moving forward. This technology that I'm describing, when people see it, they're going to be so thrilled. The campus is a beautiful, gorgeous virtual campus. There's a monorail that you can take and go around and see all the different buildings. But then you can go in and listen to hours and hours of CME courses, of lectures, of TED presentations, and all the science will be kept up to date. And you'll be able to go to forums and talk to people around the world and languages that they'll be able to translate and understand. And we'll be able to go ahead and be inspired by numbers and figures of successes we have. And we will build a lifespan inside of, eventually, which will be an autism campus which will then go ahead and house these things. We are dedicated to doing this. We're dedicated to making it free for everybody, regardless of their ability to pay. And then what we need to do is get a whole bunch more doctors, providers, and healthcare people certified. But here's the cool thing. There'll be a doctor building on campus. So doctors and healthcare professionals, you could take the same CME course as the doctor. And when you find the doctor in your location, they'll be in the doctor building, and you can go ahead and locate them and make sure they know what you know. The biggest problem I hear now is people go to a doctor, and the doctor won't even listen to what their experiences are and what their Internet searches are. This way we have a true global discussion and a chance to go ahead and solve this for really the millions and millions of children affected worldwide. So, again, I'm really pleased to make these announcements. It will be a reality. It will launch in December, and we think we can bring the community together with it. So, th- thanks so much. I, I know this has been a lot of complex information, but the thing I love about this community is I knew right away that I'm dealing with really bright parents and I completely love and trust their ability. As long as I'm transparent, uh, they seem to get stuff very quickly.
2: Yeah, I think you're right, David, that there's so many parents so we have to become scientists and attorneys and advocates and um, never underestimate an autism parent in, when it comes to finding out information to help their children. And you've just given us so much food for thought um, on prevention and causation and things that we can do and predictability, um, Shannon, do we have some questions yeah. you had some, and we have some that, uh, absolutely that viewers have come in on the have, live.
0: Okay. uh, and I, and I knew that this question was going to come in okay. because it came in after the last time we had you on the show. Uh, we've got a pregnant, uh, a woman who's wanting to get pregnant, uh, and wanting to know. So we, we talk about what they want to know. What is the protocol essentially? What's so what do they need to do what do they need to stay away from uh, and how because there are a lot of questions that came in after the last time you were on about how can I limit my environmental toxin load you know do I need to go live someplace on an island or is there a way that I can keep working my job and really substantively limit my toxic yes, load the
2: practicality
0: of it David. yeah what's the
1: protocol okay, now look this, this is really important and we're developing some low-cost tests that we'll have that will allow people with a drop of blood to measure their toxic uh, load, their metal contents, so that they're going to be able to go ahead and understand this. So I, I just talked to a mother that had a child with autism, and she did everything right except her levels of mercury and lead were sky high. Mm. And the mercury came from eating fish, so sushi, and the lead came from bad pipes in her home. That's why it's very important that we have a program where we have doctors that can work with families to make sure that they're tested so they know where they stand. Now, in terms of a toxic free food, the, the the pesticides are really easy. If you eat organic food within four to five weeks, your system will be reduced by 90% the organophosphates and organochlorines. By law, they have to have a seven-year half-life. So, so that, that's really simple. So the that's step is,
2: number one, Dave. I'm just gonna try and outline these for parents okay, and, step, and step, emphasize step them. them.
1: Step number one is absolutely do not eat out at restaurants with food that you don't know where it comes from. A lot of it is loaded with pesticides and metals, especially seafood. So eat at home, eat organic food from trusted sources. And then in terms of uh, metals, uh, metal comes from uh, a lot of the mercury is coming from raw fish. So just be smart about that. You know, uh, make sure that the food that you have is not contaminated, because it goes right to baby. Okay. So eating a peach, for example, that has pesticides is about like smoking eight cigarettes. Oh, it's mm-hmm. is not, not worth it. It's an incredible impact to the baby. Right. Uh, so the second thing is you have to have pure water. Water has so many problems with it that if you drink water from the tap, uh, you have a problem. But here is the, the other tip. 80% of the pollutants from waters come from showers and baths women and men like to take long showers and baths, especially when they're pregnant. And you cannot do that unless you put a filter on the shower head. Okay, 80% okay. will come through the shower. The other thing is lipsticks, personal care products. A lot of lipsticks have so much lead in it, the lipstick from the lead alone can affect a baby. Some of it's loaded with lead. So the Environmental Working Group, and we will have all of this information on the site when it's launched. But for women now that are looking for solutions now, it is. Go to the websites and find out or go to Whole Foods and get your cosmetics from there. A lot of these cosmetics that you put on your skin, they go right into the bloodstream and right into the baby. So do not use those. There's very little regulation on that.
2: And David, aren't there just common sense things like do not dye your hair while you're pregnant? Absolutely,
0: do do not
1: dye your hair. (laughs) Right. Or if you dye your hair, go to Whole Foods because they have uh, uh, non-chemicals because it goes right into baby. Yes. Uh, Also... Do not go in heavily polluted areas if you live next to a freeway. Put HEPA filters, uh, portable ones, in your car. Absolutely have a HEPA filter in your bedroom uh, so it takes the contaminants out of the air. Those about $100 at Costco. Uh, so these are the common sense things to do. Then when the baby is born, do not have the baby room filled with toxics in the air. Do
0: Oh, we you're frozen on us a little bit, David. Let's see. Let's see if Uh, we get him
2: right back, David. You're frozen a little bit, but let's. Because this is important. I want to go over the. There we got you,
0: David. We we lost you when you were talking about uh, Uh,
2: toxins in the baby's room. Baby's room, like
0: fresh carpeting,
1: paint. Yeah, uh, put a barrier between baby and the crib that's been sprayed with arsenic. Put a barrier on your mattress so that you don't absorb antimony. Uh, the average mother's breast milk has a hundred times the safe level of antimony. It's from the fire retardant to the mattresses. Put a barrier down so that you're able to protect yourself from that. Uh, so uh, again, with breast milk, that's the most important thing for a year, but you have to be careful. And then prenatal supplements are incredibly important. Mm-hmm. And I can have a whole program about, the fetal origin theory and how important it is. Let's, can you and, just
2: give us a couple of important ones? We've heard folic acid, vitamin D. Can you give us a few that you feel are the top ones for a m- woman who is pregnant?
1: Yeah, we, we, we have been working with Dr. Berger for a couple of years on the all of it prenatal formula at Kirkman. And part of it is, for example, David has found that we've done genetic tests, 25% of the women cannot absorb folic acid. So we're making a form of folic acid that's absorbable for all women. O- omega-3s are absolutely critical during prenatal times. Vitamin D levels have got to be at 4,000 IUs a day. And there's some unbelievably good studies that that alone can cut down on prenatal births as much as 50% and pre by 80%. Most vitamin D levels are 400 IU; They should be at 4,000 IU, So the blood levels become 50 to 70 nanograms per milliliter. So the whole area of great eating and taking uh, supplements that cannot be really gained entirely from the foods, and then take supplements after the birth because obviously you're you're basically providing nutrition for yourself and baby. And again, we gotta have a whole program on the importance of vitamin D for uh, not only during pregnancy, but also for the infant and tooth and bone structure and a whole bunch of things. Right, what about- look, the, the, ev- the evidence is very, very clear. Uh, and that is that. So many things have a direct impact on babies. So those are the fundamentals. If you can do yeah. those, will have a tremendous difference. Well, one
2: other question, David, and that's food preparation. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about mother's milk being best. Um, in my case, my son was adopted. Um, you know, we're going back. You know, ten years now, but um, you know. I did the formula, and in those days we heated things in the microwave and we weren't so careful about what we cooked in. That's important, is it not?
1: Absolutely. If you cook and you use uh, Teflon, that Teflon will go into baby, it'll go into you, it'll go into breast milk, uh, PCBs uh, from the plastics. so it's, it's common sense. It's glass and ceramic. And okay. uh, you know, uh, put my here's the thing, once we found out everything was going to baby, it's a game changer. It means that people have to be careful, and you can live in the real world, and you can have clean blood. And here's sort of the last comment, is, is women are concerned about their own level of toxicity. The blood clears itself in a very short amount of time. Okay. It may be in your tissues, but the tissue is not going to baby. That, that's the reason you don't need to detoxify. What you need to do is avoid.
0: Okay, that's and really by essential.
1: Avoid, uh, very. And blood cleans up very quickly. So okay.
2: avoid. that avoid. Very important. Avoid. Don't
0: worry about detoxing. Worry about avoiding. Yeah. Okay, that's
1: really essential. Right. Now detoxing we detoxing actually will create all of the toxins of your tissues coming out. You, okay. You just. Absolutely don't want to do All that. Right. Okay. okay, Okay, so Good that's point. a perfect start.
0: Now we had another question about the early, the Denver early model. And they want to know what is the difference between that and ABA?
1: It's a form of ABA that was developed by Sally Rogers and by Dr. Dawson. Do- Dr. Grant Pochet is probably the world's expert on it. Okay. It, you know, a one-year-old is a much simpler program, and that's why we're convinced we can do it with videos on our site. We can teach parents how to do it, and they can avoid having expensive ABA people come into their homes. When
2: do you I'm think sorry that all will... those
1: ABA trainers out there, but this could be done by parents. When do
2: you think that will be available for the general public?
1: Uh, we're going to launch the site probably in November and December, and so we're going to work with... Uh, 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 People to develop this, and we hope to have it ready sometime by the first of the year and available free to everybody. So,
2: we'll obviously be covering that here on Autism Live and letting families know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I w we, we've only got a couple of more minutes. Uh, so I, I wanted to take just a second and, and ask you, um, personally for, for the families that are, are watching and listening to this. And I know this wasn't the topic cause we were talking about prediction and prevention, but if you could take just a minute to talk to the families that it's already well past that they've got the eight year olds, they've got the nine year olds. Is there a place that you recommend they go to hear more about? what you say, or can we just book you for another show to talk about what to do for those kids?
1: Well, uh, we started a group called MAPS. Which was, uh, I was one of the founders, Medical Academy for Special uh, Needs pedi- Pediatricians, and it's very successful. We're developing great protocols, but the eventually going online with CME courses, training a whole bunch of healthcare professionals and doctors so that we can bring real treatment and we can level the playing field so every parent will know exactly Uh, What's new? What's out there? We get rid of all of these things that are not providing benefit. And uh, uh, it's really important we develop uh, treatment, and that's not the subject of this program, but I'm just as passionate about that. I really want to be able to say, and and the last comment is, the age between 20 and 30 is 10 times the death rate with autistic adults. Mm. And it's not because it has to be that way. so they don't get any medical treatment. They're dying of seizures and heart attacks at 10 times the rate. We have to bring treatment solutions all through the lifespan, and and we're also dedicated to that. It's just not the subject of this program. Right.
0: Right. Absolutely.
1: And yeah. we'll
2: do that as a subject because we do have a lot of parents out there with kids that are you know, in elementary school and older, high school, and even young adults that can be helped tremendously by the information you're providing.
1: Right, right. and and again, it's the same thing as the childhood gut conditions. It's homocysteine levels being too high. It's taurine levels not being right, causing seizures. I mean, a lot of it is simple, but we need CME courses and training. But the parents need to have access to the same information the doctors are getting so that they can, and, and, and that's the big shift we're taking we have to democratize this information and we have to make it current.
0: And we will continue to cover, as, as you move closer to having this network happen in November or December of this year, uh, and so people can tune in here, but is there any other place too that you wanna direct them to find out more information? About, and it's Again, it's VHI?
1: Yeah, it'll be called VHI, and uh, it'll become part of a project of the Autism Forum, the Northwest Autism Foundation. Our director is, uh, uh, Beth McShane and she's great and look anybody can call me personally or write me personally and and I uh, obviously answer uh, everything I get and, and I'll provide as much help on a one-on-one basis as I can and I did they- learn from the great man that it is one-on-one so <laughs> so uh, they
2: contact you at Kirkman
1: at gmail.com
2: oh, say that again David I was interrupting you
1: Uh, dkhumphrey at gmail.com and so I'll provide as much help or links to whoever I can get help for them and and get me on any issue
0: thank you so much for all that you're doing and for being with us and taking the time to do this today you really made today special
1: okay well thank you so much it's exciting to be part of this